What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to RizzoCast, and welcome back. This is now episode number 24 of the show, and we are joined today by a special guest. He's a certified uh, certified MLBPA agent in Major League Baseball, Joshua Kusnick. Josh, what's going on? Trying to survive the election. Yeah, we picked a weird day to do this, but uh, you know what? It's It's... I guess that's kind of a distraction for a lot of people to um, tune in and see us talking some baseball. Um, yeah, good for me. I'm I'm good. <laughs> uh, so let me start. I've asked everybody this. Everybody that's come on the show this question, um, and everybody's had a great answer to it. We've gone through this quarantine thing and and COVID for months now. Have you picked up on anything? new that you haven't done before like for example i've you know i've binge watched shows i've started reading more um i've gone on walks is there anything new that you've picked up that you've kind of added to your routine i started a facebook group for autographs and it has two thousand people in it now <laughs> oh wow yeah i was bored and i started a facebook group and now it's a full-time thing so i turned myself into an autograph influencer by accident that that's pretty awesome, and and you know what? I got something for you here because I knew you were a collector. So those of you guys oh, yeah. listening, you guys can't see, but I got something. This is what I got for. Um, I'm excited. A ten dollars. Okay, this was a couple years ago. Ten dollars. You know what the the hanger box is at Target. Ten dollars at the time. Of course, of course I do. Yes. I break stuff. Yeah. So. You know, I used to get the blaster boxes, but from what I'm, what I've heard recently, because I haven't collected big time in right. a while, those blaster boxes are hard to find now, huh? Oh my God, you can't find anything anywhere anymore. And the worst part is, the companies put the best stuff in the hobby boxes, not the retail. So people are spending tons on retail, or paying triple the prices on retail, and the odds of getting anything like really good in it are close to nothing. It's just like I don't know. All these new collectors are doing everything wrong and making me money and. and I really appreciate it, but like, God, you guys got to do some research. Yeah, and I'm one of the guys that used to that used to buy the the retail whatever. So I anyway, buy them, I buy them too. It's fun, but like, if you're like going in there, like, I'm gonna find the one of one trout for millions. You're not going to. <laughs> so, anyways, I got a redemption. I, I don't know what oh. what year this is. It was here we go, 2016. I got a redemption, and you know they they take forever to come. Uh, years, um, some of. Yeah, so I freaked out when I got this. And this is what it is. Mike Trout. Oh, Jesus Christ. Scouting report. This was the redemption I got in the hanger box. Oh, my God. That's uh, that's valuable as hell now. Yes. So I looked it up on Check Out My Cards. It was like 450 500 uh, Yeah, it's easy. I was going to say easy 500 If you get it graded, if you are bold and daring to crack it out of the top sleeve and get it graded, it'll be worth more if it grades high. But... Only do that if you're sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm going to wait because he's going into the I Hall would, of Fame. I, I, I would wait. I wouldn't do it. That card's awesome. Trout stuff's always valuable. He's doing another signing this offseason. I think there's a link on my Facebook page. Uh, it's like 425 for photos uh, and balls or, or 500 It's just the prices are just unbelievable. Memorabilia since COVID, since like the Jordan documentary just exploded. I'm like, all right, well, I'd be pretty stupid if I didn't go back to that. So I've been dabbling in it since uh, March. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been in it for 30 years. So it's, it's cool that I came back. Yeah, I got some other stuff in the bubble wrap. This one's uh, Anthony Rizzo Relic Auto out of 10. Oh, Jesus. So that's another I one that I like. I, sc I scouted him in high school. He went to Douglas. Yeah, and then I got – I don't know how much these are worth, but they're, they're three different Derek Jeter high school – probably not worth oh, much. Oh, you've got a 92 classic Jeter, a 92 front row Jeter, and a 92 four-sport Jeter. Those are pretty valuable, though. Good to hear. And this one, actually, Bruce Bochy signed at one of the Giants fan Bochy Boach is the man. I love him. <laughs> so that, that's what I got for you. What a great I, guy. I came prepared. All right, so Joshua, we just saw World Series conclude. Yep. Um, what was your takeaways from this year's Fall Classic? You know, I had the Dodgers in five. What did you think? Um, I'm sorry, repeat that. It cut out for a second. Oh, I, I was just saying that, you know, we just had a Fall Classic conclude, the World Series. Uh, what were your takeaways? You know, I had I had the Dodgers winning it in five games. What did you think? Oh, I, I knew it would 
I, I mean, I thought there was a chance it would go seven. Um, I'm glad it ended where it did. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I did not enjoy the post-game celebration in any way, but uh, I, I enjoyed the series I, I to a point. I, I don't really like the game as much now. It's all – I don't like a lot of it, the the home runs and, and just – it's either a home run or a strikeout. There's no strategy like when I started, and it's just – it's video game baseball and that's fine if there's an audience for it i just i just don't like it as much i i i it's a crime against humanity what happened with blake snell i hate that so i don't think anybody liked it and analytics have their place but you know it's starting to overstep some boundaries oh yeah for sure that was that was pretty pathetic and i think it got the backlash that it deserved yeah. um so before we get into kind of the economic side of baseball what did you think about this this past 60 game sprint uh, did you go kind of – or did it go kind of how you thought it would go? I thought it would be exciting. I think it was, especially with the expanded postseason formatting. I would not go 16 teams next year uh, or whatever it was. That, that was just too many. They want um, They want to. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would expand it, but I wouldn't go 16. I think that was too much. And also I would, I would change – I would not have every team play in that wild card series. What did you think overall about this year? I hated it. I don't think they should have played. I, yeah. think I think it's stupid to have risked COVID. And, you know, I'm glad we got a distraction to watch baseball, but was it worth it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, no, everyone's going to wonder about this season. You know, all the stats are diminished. You know, from a scouting standpoint, everyone gets a mulligan. Nobody cares about these stats. Nobody can, like, point to these numbers. And they're like, oh, well, this is going to prove next year this guy's going to be great. It was a very small sample size. So, I mean, it, it, for me, it felt like an exhibition season. It was exciting, but, like, I I don't care. It's stupid to me. I didn't I didn't really enjoy a lot of it. It was, it was fun watching individual things, um, but it felt like an exhibition season, especially mostly without fans, which I'm fine not having fans with COVID, but if you're not going to have fans, it may be not so safe to have games either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you weren't the only person that felt that way. So let's get into the offseason. Sure. There's a lot of stuff unknown. So going back to the COVID thing, how does that impact the market? There's a shortened season. Nobody really knows how to interpret, um, you know, the dollar sign based on this past year. And a lot of these contracts come based off track record. Um, so, you know, what is Major League Baseball facing this year with, with the, the free agent trade market after kind of a lost year and a lot of, lost revenue from the owners and a lot of um you know not a lot of money involved (laughs) well i mean the owners are back up to their bullshit i don't like it they've been planting the seeds about all the money everybody lost they didn't really lose anything in the postseason what they lose they didn't play payers out player salaries for a full season so they're banking all of the losses but they're not offsetting any of it of what they didn't have to pay I don't really fucking care what billionaires lose. It's their investment. If they want to cry poor for it and all that, that's their business. But for this offseason, if you have teams that have a willingness to play by the rules, excuse me, play by the rules and actually go out and sign people the way that and let them and participate in the market the way that it intended, those teams are going to do really well. And, um, I would ask you, how do you have guys like Mookie Betts? I can point to that because that contract's already finished. How do you have guys like Mookie Betts getting that kind of money in this environment if everybody's losing money? Like, the Dodgers found a way to get financial solvency to make money to sign him for that kind of commitment. What's going to happen to everybody else? I think owners are going to try to use this as a convenient excuse to not pay people because why can they pay some and not everybody? You know, I think it's abhorrent what they're doing to minor leaguers. I think it's even worse what they're doing to their front offices, like furloughing regular employees and, and grounds crew. And, you know, this is all about – this really is all about corporate greed as much as people hate hearing it. It's a bunch of billionaires that don't want to lose money in their investment. And now fans, players, everyone in the industry have to pay the price because we have to subsidize their losses. And to that, I say I don't care and they should lose money because when they make money, they don't give it back to us. So what the hell do I care? Um, but what you're asking me, will the market be impacted by it? Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare this year, I think. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. Um, and as a as somebody who's been an MLB agent yourself, 
what would you be usually doing in a normal offseason, let's say? What would you normally be doing kind of around this time? Early free agency just started. What would you be doing? Getting ready for the – finishing up my touches for the winter meetings. Um, I'd already be ready for free agency, depending if I have guys eligible for ARB, getting ready for that. Um, the agent meetings and then the winter meetings. And now this year, I'm not doing any of that. So it's it's been a it's been an interesting like year off for me. I've still done a lot of stuff, but this is the first year really in like 18 years I didn't travel and go to a bunch of games and it felt very detached. But I don't think they should have had a season. Like I keep saying, I I I. They, I, I question the results. I question how safe it really was. And to see what happened during game, the last game of the World Series, um, you know, I'd love to hear some answers on how that happened in a bubble. Yeah, exactly. I, I, that was one of the most confusing moments. And there's a lot going on. There's the commissioner who nobody even knew what his status was, you know, healthy health-wise. So uh, that was the weirdest 30-minute kind of period. What would have happened? What would have happened if they had to play a game seven? They're lucky. That's not good. So everything's a mess. I'm really worried about the offseason. I'm worried about owners claiming all these losses. You know, all these guys being free agents, a lack of a minor league. I mean, the the market's going to be really just frozen, I think. Um, you get the four or five guys at the top of the market that are going to get paid no matter what because everyone wants them. But like everybody else, guys that are all-stars, one-year deals. I mean, it's going to be ugly. I, I, I think it's going to be ugly. I don't, I'm not looking forward to it, but I was, I was crying all this last year that it was going to be ugly before COVID. So it's going to be worse. Yeah, for sure. So, and, and I think another thing that has to play into this is the CBA expires yeah, after next year. Uh, absolutely. And, and I, I was hearing some experts saying that, you know, this is around the time where talks would already be in progress. Um, yes. So is this expected to get done or should there be kind of a worry? <laughs> Who expects it to get done? Did someone <laughs> tell you that? No, it's not going to get done. It'll go to the last minute and uh, and then maybe it'll get done at the last minute. But I, I don't think it'll get done. I'm one of those people that still thinks one side or the other is going to cause a labor stoppage. I don't know what it's going to be or why it's going to be caused, but I, I still don't – I think there's too much going on. Think about what happens, depending on the results of the election. Let's say Biden wins the election, and then COVID comes back, and they decide to rule uh, – or they decide to implement another curfew or, or whatever. They're saying that's a national emergency. And then baseball and Manfred have uh, an in in the CBA to trigger suspending the CBA. And then, in theory – they would have to go to the Players Association and then negotiate another March agreement. Except with the backdrop of the CBA, uh, that's not going to fucking happen. Why would that happen? You know, uh, if they suspend the CBA, we're just going to have like this really prolonged uh, CBA negotiation and they could wipe out next season. Like next year may not even happen still. Like I don't know how everyone takes that for granted. Like I'm sitting here and have no idea if there's going to be games next year. Like I have no idea at all. Um, you know, if teams can't have fans uh, in, the, in the seats next year uh, for safety purposes, it's still going to cost them revenue. And owners have already said they don't want to have games if they can't have fans. They're saying this right now, and no one's paying attention. And, okay, we'll see what happens. I, I think I'm going to be right, but I hope not. Yeah. And going back to Rob Banford, and my opinion, there's just no feel for the room. There's there's no there's no feel for the game and who's somebody his, described who's this. Who's his room? The owners. Yeah, <laughs> but they all. Got, yeah, his room's thirty owners, so he's doing fine for them. You know, I, I will. He's an easy scapegoat if they want to get rid of him for the CBA, and if he does a good job, they can keep him. He's, you know, I hate him, but what are you gonna do? Yeah, for the fans though. I mean, this guy. This oh. guy. Oh, yeah, no, we all hate him. He's terrible. The, the irony is if you write Rob Manfred a letter, he'll send you a signed baseball. So, you know, fan-friendly. <laughs> that's, that's great. But he's – I mean, there, there's no feel for the sport. And somebody described this perfectly on Twitter. They said that he's one of those guys that will go into 
a room, uh, a secret room, and, and secretly call runs points. And I agree 100%. So, um, yeah, Rob, Rob's smarter than that. I know. I, I mean, he's smart. He's a really good litigator. Um, he just doesn't care. You guys need to understand, like, th- that level, Manfred, the owners, uh, I, they don't care about fans. Like, no one does. Like, I, we don't think about it. I mean, I, you, I care because I was a fan, you know. Like, my players, they, they're aware of it enough. All players generally wear fans. But, like, at that level with ownership, fans don't come into it. The fan experience doesn't come into it. The only thing that comes into it is how we get fans money. And it's all about driving content. And how you can make money off that content. And that's why baseball tends to make so much money, is there's so much content. There's 162 games, the playoffs, uh, spring training, fall league. There's so many, so much content to sell advertising. So my point is, is that they're not stupid. They don't care. And that's worse. <laughs> so back to kind of the market. And, and you mentioned this earlier about, you know, guys that are 36, 35, even 33, yep. uh, that have a lot of baseball left in them. Yep. And they're forced to retire. They're forced to take one-year deals. They're forced oh, to take I, minor league deals. Yeah, they're going to shove minor league deals and one-year deals with incentives, you know, non-guaranteed contracts. They're going to offer them like crazy. They're all going to cry liquidity issues. Like, think about this at an ownership level. There are absolutely some teams that are leveraged uh, worse than the others financially because they were already leveraged before COVID. Now, because of COVID, they're leveraged even more. So there are some teams legitimately that don't have access to a ton of liquidity and probably have to – uh, shave payroll and operating budget costs by millions. And that's legitimate for what the owners are, are, are implementing, but like that's only because the owners don't want to absorb a loss and they say, screw the fan experience and we're going to make the fans pay for it instead of me paying for it, which is why I never, to the end of time, will ever understand why a fan would ever side with ownership against anything. Like players asking too much money, shut up. No, they aren't. Like, you should see what the owners are doing to you. I don't set ticket prices. And the point I always make to everybody, which I bring it up on every podcast, is when they say players t- uh, make too much money and that tickets are too expensive and concessions are too expensive, I always tell them, in spring training, players are not paid and tickets are not free. So, anyway. There you go. Like I, like I say, just, you know, just remember who you're rooting for. You're rooting for the team and the player. You're not rooting for Wall Street. At least here. And if you are, then that's your business, and I don't like you as a fan. <laughs> uh, so I think the biggest storyline of this offseason is going to be Trevor Bauer. Uh, so, And he said that he's going to be only taking one-year deals for the remainder. Why of his, is he going to be the biggest story? Because I think it's going to be well-publicized. I think he's going to – Does that make it a big story, or does that make it a loud story? It doesn't matter. He's one guy. It's one guy. What has he done? He's very good at baseball. He's an okay marketer. But, like, who is he appealing to? You think he's helping his market value? And I know he doesn't care. He's building a brand. But that brand is bullshit to me because he's doing it for his fucking self. I don't like what he's doing because it's all shameless self-promotion. He doesn't help anyone except for Trevor Bauer. I don't think it's that interesting, nor do I think it's that clever. And I don't think it works unless you're fucking pitching like Trevor Bauer. So I would love to see how much attention he gets with a 70 RA. <laughs> so, you know, you answered my question. I was going to ask, is this a legit strategy to maximize? No, it's no, it's fucking stupid. It's ridiculous. And even if he gets his money, which he absolutely will, it will not be because of marketing. It's because he's fucking Trevor Bauer. There you go. You answered my question. Perfect. Yeah, I'm like, you think a team's going to see that and be like, we really want to invite them. You know the most bullshit thing that I've seen by far is I saw that his agent tweeted out that she's cutting through the media to tweet directly to the fans. It's such bullshit. She can't report fucking anything until she confirms it. She's just acting as a reporter. It's so insane that anyone is buying into this. What is she going to report? You think she's going to report on the state of how her phone calls are going? Just got off the phone with Cashman. No, she fucking isn't. She's going to tweet when the contract's done, just like I do. There you go. And it's it's a very, very, very interesting thing to follow. That I. It's not interesting. Stop saying that. It's only <laughs> interesting because Rachel Luba's tweeting it. No one gave a fuck when I tweeted it. Wonder why that is. So it's why not do you think that, that is? A bunch of dudes who look like you think it's interesting. I promise you baseball doesn't. 
<laughs> and I'm so, mad about it because it's all bullshit. It does not work without a talented player like Trevor Bauer. Without it, it's bullshit. The agent game's bullshit without the players. It's such a racket. I don't like pretension, and I really hate when you abuse labor talking points and you play it to fans and you act like you're this advocate and you do fucking nothing for the minor leaguers. I think he's a fraud, and I know she is. So if you were commissioner or not, maybe not commissioner, um, cause the minor leagues, that is a problem. That's a huge problem. It's a problem it's a that nightmare. they're cutting it. it it's a problem. It's been a problem that they haven't been getting paid for years. So what would you do if you were in charge? How would you fix that? I mean, they, so this is a complicated answer. Um, baseball has an antitrust exemption. It allows them to treat those players uh, as apprentices, skilled workers, uh, not full-time employees. That's why a minor leaguer could theoretically in a season make $11,000 pre-tax and, you know, that's without living expenses and equipment. Agent pays for some of the equipment, living expenses. They live five guys to a place. It's a nightmare. How do you fix it? Um, I think it's terrible that more hasn't been done. I mean, you wonder what the PA could actually do, and you say, well, let's just bring them all in. Well, that's not that easy because then they'll have to vote and then they all get all these different rights. I mean, there has to be something for them. I mean, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I was on the the admit everybody to the PA crew before I looked at the practicality of it, which I hate talking this way, but I do think they need their own labor union. I think they need to be represented. I think they should collectively bargain, and I think uh, it would be great if a prominent agent more than me, uh, say like a Scott Boris, took all of his high-profile minor leaguers and maybe took a social stand one day. And, uh, you know, if those guys all banded together and had a labor stoppage of all those top prospects, well, teams would have to listen. But nobody, nobody organizes like that. Nobody puts up anything. We don't have Kurt Flood. And uh, we don't have Marvin Miller right now. Garrett Brocious is trying a lot of stuff. I know they do a lot of stuff in minor league baseball, but I think it's – I, what would I do? I would pay them more. How do you get owners to pay them more? I have no idea. They, they know that we all know that they're not paying them. They still don't do anything. They do it because they can. No one cares. So, um, I mean, you know, underpaid baseball player professionally is like real down on the list for a lot of people on things they care about. And there's people like me who care about it because it's I'm around it. But I would I don't know why minor league teams don't make or, or major league teams don't make that investment in their own product. Um, and, and the answer is, unfortunately, at least what I've come to, is that they absolutely don't care about their product. It's why there's less minor league teams. It's why they don't pay them. It's why they don't do this. It's why they don't care. As long as they can put a product that's serviceable out where they can sell commercials and tickets and beer, uh, that's enough. And that's the thing I don't like about the industry anymore is you and me could talk here all day long about why would they not do something so simple to fix this. And, you know, the reality is there are horrible people. They don't care. Yeah, it's really sad because minor league baseball is just a great atmosphere, a great fan experience, and well, I think, think everybody about, I should. Heartbreaking for you. Think about this. I'm going to ask you something and hijack this. <laughs> How do you think there's going to be a minor league season next year with COVID? That's a good question. They well, would... my answer is my answer is they're not, and I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. Florida and Arizona, you know the, the, the spring training homes. They're going to set up all the minor league levels at those two places in Florida and Arizona, and they're going to have complex leagues because they're going to want to contain the spread of COVID during – I mean, that makes sense. Except one thing, it completely decimates local economies because we won't get minor league games now. So this shit ain't going away. I, I, I believe that's what's going to happen next year to the minor leagues. And that's of the remaining teams that survive. I mean, it's, it's going to be a hellscape. Manfred – Manfred got his wish, man. He took over the minor leagues. We're not having a winter meetings. I don't know if you know this. Winter meetings got canceled. Minor league baseball um, organizes the winter meetings. Winter meetings canceled. Now, I thought there was a good chance of that, but it's very jarring that there's no winter meetings. So who knows if those are ever coming back? Like, it's – everything's ugly. Everything's looking rough. And, like, I think the only people in baseball that are happy, like, right now are Mets fans, which is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they just got bought. They're – they kind of reset financially here. Well, he didn't. Well, they'll think about it this way: Steve Cohen just bought the team, so he didn't lose any money this year. So yeah. guess how his guess how his free agency is going to go? Yeah, the Mets can is, go buy. Yeah, the Mets can go buy everybody. I'm, 
100% expecting that to happen. I hope it does. Just as a, as a fan, I just hope one team buys everybody. That would be interesting for sure. So let's get into because I just want to let you know that was a great bit right there. That last like 10 minutes, the, the Bauer stuff, I mean, I figured out oh, really quickly an, that I, you're a really good interview. Thank you, man. I, I get I get animated. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's great. It's absolutely amazing. So let's move on to kind of how you became an agent. So yep. when did you start and, and what, what kind of drew you into the profession? Uh, I always wanted to work uh, as an agent from the time I was real young, like even before Jerry Maguire, like Jerry Maguire came out and like, Oh wow, this is what I want to do. But like I, I already kind of knew that. I, I don't know where I had picked it up. I knew I was a sick kid growing up. So I knew I was going to play sports, but somebody must've told me about like what an agent did or was. And ever since I was like 11 years old, that's all I ever wanted to do. And I went to all these minor league games with my dad. And then I would talk to all the players. I wouldn't shut up about, like, how did you pick your agent? How did you pick your agent? How did you pick your – I would ask all the players. Because you couldn't look it up online. Google didn't exist. Uh, Baseball America was in a magazine for it still. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't something you could just, like, read about. So, like, I asked everybody. And then at one minor league game uh, in 2002, a guy from the White Sox, Joe Butler, uh, who's still there, um, Joe saw me in a minor league game getting autographs of Josh Willingham, Miguel Cabrera, and Dontrell Willis. And he asked me, how do you know who all these guys are? And I'm like, I read Baseball America. I'm a nerd, blah, blah, blah. I go to all these games. I asked. And he said, if you ever want to work in baseball, just hit me up and, and we can talk about it. So I go to FSU and I go to college my freshman year. And I have class with uh, Stephen Drew and Russell Martin and Adam Lowen were at Chipola. And the next year after that is where I saw Michael Saunders and I signed Lorenzo Cain. Uh, at TCC, but like anyway, I called that guy and he got me into scouting, uh, bird dog scouting, associate level stuff for baseball, uh, for the White Sox, uh, amateur stuff, and that's how I got to Chipola and TCC, and then that's when I saw Michael Saunders, and that's how I like, wow, that kid in center field's like way better than Saunders, and that's how I met Lorenzo, and that's how I signed those guys. But like the very first client I ever signed was in the Florida State League, a guy named Carmen Cali who pitched like seven innings in the big leagues for the uh, Cardinals and twins um i see he was a 25 year old a ball pitcher or 26 year old a ball pitcher throwing hard and uh i wanted to be his agent because he had baseball cards and he threw hard he was a lefty and i went up to him when i was like 20 and uh, he said if you buy me a glove and you talk to my parents you can be my agent so i bought him a glove and i drove to naples with my dad and we met with him and i and then he hired i that was literally how it happened wow it's crazy so um Kenley Jansen, because this was yep. how I, this is kind of yeah. how I, I, I decided that I wanted to have you on was yeah. you mentioned that you have Kenley. A, the, the Kenley Jansen story from when he transitioned from catcher to pitcher. Yeah. So how did that happen? Yeah, I was Kenley's agent um, when he was a catcher. Um, like, oh, I represented Kenley in 07 to 2010 or 11. And um, I'd represented Justin Sellers, Trayvon Robinson, Josh Bell uh Kenley I knew Xavier Paul and James McDonald real well like that I knew all those guys uh, at D Gordon I worked for D Gordon for like a day <laughs> but um but I I knew all those guys and then Kenley had an agent in Miami um Barry Praver who, who's actually uh I'm friends with these guys now I mean water under the bridge but Barry and and Scott Shapiro are um like Lewis Roberts agent. They've got all those guys. They're big time. Uh, Magnus sports Miami. But anyway, I, he was unhappy with Barry. I was like 25 years old. I didn't know those guys. So he fires them. He hires me because I represented all of his friends with the Dodgers. And I represented a kid from Curacao named Juan Carlos Sulbron, who was, he got a half a million dollars from the Reds out of high school. Um, I was his advisor out of the draft. Um, so Kenley knew me through all that stuff. He was going to the WBC. He was catching. And, um, I was very close to the Dodgers minor league coordinators and stuff back then. And their front office guys, Logan White and Dijon Watson, like I'm close to them now. They're, they're interviewing for GM jobs. They both should get hired. Um, Logan and Dijon were very instrumental in Kenley's life, uh, looking after him. Kenley had a brother who played for the Braves in the minors named Ardley Jansen, and he retired because he didn't like a position shift idea. So that being said, uh, one day, Dijon called Kenley into his office in, in A-ball and said, you can't hit. You suck at it. You're never going to hit again. So you can either pitch finally, because they'd been asking him, you can either try to pitch forever, uh, you know, convert forever, or you can go home. And he said, cool, I quit. 
and he called me and he's like, I'm going home. It's over. I'm like calming him down. I'm like, Oh, this sucks. And, um, I called the Dodgers and I work it out with them where they agreed. You can go look this up too. I got receipts on this. They agreed to send Kenley as a guy converting to pitching for the first time to the Cal league. So he didn't want to go to Arizona. He said, I'll do it, but I'm not going to the Arizona league. So they move him all the way up to high A, which for a pitcher is not great because it's the Cal league. And he goes there and he does pretty well. He does well. He does well. And he gets to like double A and then I get fired and then he gets to the big leagues. But anyway, long story short, I worked it out with the Dodgers. So he didn't retire. So glad I did that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You're the, you're the savior in uh, Kenley, unsung savior in Kenley's career. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he, he's, he's free to send me a check anytime. What was it like seeing him win a championship this year? Mixed feelings because I was fired by him. But, like, you know, I've had guys win World Series before. I've been there. It's way better when you're there. So, like, I'll tell you this. It was a lot more hard. Seeing him and Matt Beattie win pissed me off more. Uh, I wasn't happy for them at all. I don't like those guys. But I, I'm not, like, that bitter where I wanted them to fail. It was still cool to see them there and, and do that. But I was heartbroken for Michael Brantley. That sucked because that's the second time he's lost in the in the World Series. So, at least he wasn't the last guy out this time. But. What a what a bum rate. That sucks, man. Because like we had the three of the, the three guys that I worked for at the time in A ball and me, like we were the crew together. It was me, Michael Brantley, Lorenzo Kane, and Darren Ford. And Lorenzo Kane and Darren Ford both have rings. <laughs> Where's Darren Ford now? Is he still playing independently? The bullet. He played independent ball last year, but I, I think he hung him up. I mean, maybe he'll get one more year, but he he had his window. He never got a hit in the big leagues, man. He got like eight. He got. Got like, I think 0 for 8 with like three walks. He has like eight career steals or something. But like, he had a weird stat line, but he did get a ring. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm here in San Francisco, so I remember him well. And uh, him he, and he helped you guys win. Yes, there's, there's a, I remember when he was, he was base running. They were in Pittsburgh and, and he had a mad dash around the, the bases. Dash. Yep. Yeah, so when actually when they made it to the postseason, him and Emmanuel Burris were the two main cheerleaders. Manny. I knew Manny. Yeah. Yeah, he's the hitting coach now for the uh, for the Dodgers AAA. Yeah, Manny's Manny's a good dude. I always thought he got a raw deal and he should have gone to Asia, but I think it was it, it's tough to get over there. I like Manny as a player, and there was a guy in the Giants too that was friends with those guys. What the hell was his name? Thomas uh, Thomas Thomas Neal. Neal. Remember that? Yes, Thomas Neal fielder. was friends with those guys, and and one other guy, Tyler Graham, and I was Tyler Graham's agent. Yeah, Tyler Graham was was with the. Di- I think he broke in with the Diamondbacks. Yeah, he got to the big leagues. Yeah, he did. That see, these are there needs to be some kind of like, because these are just names that like not everybody knows. But those it's are the cra- names that I know. I know all these guys. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Eugenio Velez is the one that's always brought up here, and you know, in in San Francisco, it's kind of like a laughing thing. Um, oh yeah, I like. Everyone still asks me about Darren Ford 10 years later. It was 10 years ago, like yesterday, you guys won the World Series because it was on my Facebook. And uh, I just – I'm like, God, people still ask me. I still get fan mail at my office for Ford. Yeah, Ford. Ford's a – he was one of the fastest guys around. Um, you know, I, I still think you should have had a better career than he did. The guy ran a 619. Yeah. He was – he was quick. and Manny Burris was fast too. Manny Burris was yes. a first-round pick. But anybody would tell you this. There was no human being in the minors faster than Darren Ford. Like, he was Terrence Gore before Terrence Gore. Yeah, Terrence Gore didn't get in that bad, and he appeared in a World Series game. Except Ford's a much better baseball player. Oh, sorry. Ford's a much better baseball player than, than Terrence Gore. No, no offense. Like, I was around D. Ford, and, you know, I scouted Gore, and it's not even close. There's a reason, you know. Anyway, they both have rings. <laughs> <laughs> it's very unlikely. Um so, what is what is kind of your future? I know you said your major league baseball is kind of going out the window. Your relationship with being sorry, an agent in baseball. So, what are you I'm up sorry. to now? Oh, now, now, um, I'm just working on free agency for the guys I have. Um, I'm working on media stuff that I'm doing. I've got a lot. I, I have a uh, a website we launched this year called Power.gg, where people can pay money to play video games with baseball players. So. Working on that, we just signed the NBA 2K League and all those guys. So if people want to 
eventually play with actual 2K players. They can do our site, but we're doing that. Um, free agency is like the biggest thing now, figuring out next year. Um, and just uh, keeping the Facebook page going because that's actually like really busy. We started doing uh, signings and stuff like that. So I'm just, I got a whole bunch of things in the air. And I don't know how much research you did, but I actually really am a stand up comic. And I, uh, in Florida, like they opened up like five weeks ago. So I started performing again and, you know, no shortage of material lately. Oh, yeah. I'm not one bit shocked that you're a stand up comic at all. This, <laughs> this, <laughs> it's yeah, like, was... it's like the, the whole interview, it's like critical. But it's like spot on, but it's also got some kind of like comedic flair to it. So it's it's great. It's great stuff, honestly. And thank, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you appreciate it. It was a, it was a huge hindrance early on in my career when people said I talk too fucking much. But yeah, and and I know I now know that Trevor Bauer is kind of a trigger point this offseason. So it makes me so angry. Like I'm glad you asked me on air because anytime someone asks me, and the thing is, they're very smart people. Him and Rachel, I from what I have seen, they're incredible incredibly smart people and um and from the people that know them and they know they know way better than even acknowledge my existence because it would just give me air and i'm smarter than they are so um that wouldn't go very well like they they would just sick their hoard on me and i'm a nihilist so i don't care so it wouldn't go very well for them because i could i mean i watched a video that they were going over um something about arbitration and i'm watching it it's like arbitration for idiots and i'm just like who is this for you're just creating content just like maybe do your job like the one thing you can't lose sight of as an agent is your primary job is as an agent it's not like a content creator it's fucking crazy to me and i'm not saying you can't obviously you are capable of doing these things I'm not, no one's saying you can't it's a matter of judgment should you do that doesn't one thing take away from the other? Oh, no, we can do two things. Right. Believe that while you're young. I believed that when I was that age, too. You know, there's no such thing. I just, it bothers me so much because it's all empty. I have substance. And I'm not, I don't want the accolades that they're going for. A different market. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've read any of this, but, like, I vehemently rage against Barstool. And I know they embrace that audience. And that's just a difference of opinion. But if people want to read that bullshit from them and think it's insightful, then I, then what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> yeah, no barstool. I, I guess it's some people, some people like that. That's fine. But <laughs> somebody trying to break into sports media. I hope that site burns down. I hate it. I used to work for Jared Carabas like briefly. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree. No, I quit very loudly. Um, like I do everything, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't like Barstool in any way, shape, or form because most people will tell me the same thing they probably tell you about Barstool is, listen, I hate Barstool and everything that they represent. They're misogynistic and they're against women or the way they treat women, whatever. It's very, I don't, it's, it's regressive. I don't like it. So anyway, my point is people will tell you, I don't like those things. I just like the one thing on Barstool I like, which is a podcast or this show or something. They'll pick the one. I like, you know, whoever's there, Dallas. Uh, Dallas Braden. They'll pick something they like. They'll be like, I hate bars to accept the thing I like. And I always tell those people, yeah, but like the thing you like, like you doing that is the reason they're still in fucking business. Yeah. So, and as somebody I mean, looking to go in the sports media myself, I just think it's an embarrassment. And if that's the road it, that I'm telling if you want to go into sports media, which I have plenty of advice for this that is unsolicited. I know everybody. Um, weird flex. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll call myself on that. That was bad. But no, what I, what I would say is for media is if you're looking for like the shock value stuff, like, they, you know, there's one Skip Bayless, there's one uh, Colin Cowherd, you know, there's millions of morons that don't have a microphone. That's not like a skill being a moron and controversial and being a contrarian. You know, I could go on TV right now, straight faced with my voice, which I know is awesome that I can flex on. And, um, and just say like, yeah, I think the Dallas Cowboys do have a chance to win the central this year. And I'll sound fucking crazy, even though, like, it's normal. But I could go do that for millions of dollars. We all could. The hard thing is going on camera and telling the truth to people and, sell and, and selling it as the truth and nothing but that, which is why you have Ken Rosenthal, who's fucking great. You have guys like him. And then you have other people in the media. I will not name names, but you point at other people in the media, and you're like, oh, well, that guy said that because of this. And people should aspire in the media to be more like Rosenthal and less like 
any of the other TMZ journalists that just tweet shit out. You, I had an article years ago that actually went viral that I, I loved, which was uh, on BP. And Jeff Passan and I were talking, and he came up with a great phrase that I got credit for. It's totally his, 100% his. Um, we used to refer to the job seekers at the winter meetings as transaction monkeys because all they would do is go on Twitter and be like, so-and-so signs with the Dodgers on a minor league deal. So-and-so signs with the Padres. And I was like, dude, we don't need to tweet these. Like, we get the transaction reports. Like, we get it. Thanks. And there was this trend of young reporter wannabes trying to get in and, and be insiders, and it was it was so stupid. It was the dumbest thing ever, and I'm glad it went away. But my point being is if you're trying to get into journalism, don't don't be a transaction monkey. Don't Don't do stupid things. Don't harass people. Just go tell the truth. That's, like, the easiest thing. Like, Kurt Cobain said, like, hate your enemies, save your friends, find your place, speak the truth. I just live by that. Fuck everything else. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll write that down for sure. That's pretty good stuff. Uh, I wasn't going to ask this, but now I feel like I have to because it's perfect timing. By you were means. banned from MLB Network? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Why would you not leave with that? No, <laughs> I, was, I was banned from Reddit. And well, I, didn't know if it was a, I didn't know if it was a, a sore subject, but it's clearly I not. I don't, have to, I don't have to. I mean, I, we just talked about Kenley firing me in the World Series. There aren't too many <laughs> sore subjects with me. Um no, I I mean fuck them, man. They're 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 the, the, the media arm of the owners. I don't like what they do. They were they were talking about the March agreement, you know, back in, in May or whatever or April, I don't remember what it was. It was something about labor. And uh, I emailed one of the producers because they brought me on the show last year and I emailed them like, yo, you guys are just giving the ownership point of view and you haven't brought an agent out, give an agent's perspective, you know, let me on your fucking show. And um they said, okay. I mean, which was totally their mistake. And um, as soon as they realized they had booked me, like I got the email an hour before I went on the air and they're like, listen, we're, we, we saw your Twitter. You're not coming on the air. And I was like, fuck you guys. I don't care. I, I mean, it's your fault for booking me. And that's, that's what happened. And we'll never book. I'm shadow banned by the network for sure. I'll never get booked again, but Good news, way better for me to get banned by MLB Network because I've been on there like three times and I hate those guys. And plus, I could still, literally, I could still call Jim Duquette or Mike Farron and they'd get mad at me, but I could still call them on air. Yeah, and it's it's funny because Ken Rosenthal mentioned that when he was first gonna gonna work for MLB Network, he was a little hesitant because they had the MLB connection; they were owned by MLB. So you know, he didn't want to he didn't want to piss anybody off. So um, yeah, you're right; it is kind of the the owners, they live oh, under the yeah, owner's arm. MLB Network's tough, man. I mean, I know all the reporters who go on there, and they are stuck. They, they don't lie. You generally don't have – well, some lie. But you generally have guys that report what they can. But that's the problem. Do you really want a network where people report what they can? Like, what good is that? Yeah, that's – I mean – Twitter has opened my eyes to Bob Nightingale, so that's another. (laughs) I know Bob very, very well, and I'm sure he's a very nice guy. He's very, just, he's a very bad reporter. Yeah, we could leave it at nice guy. That's I. (laughs) It would have been different if you said he's a very, very good reporter, but you went with the nice guy. So he's a really nice guy. I just he's pissed me off so many times. Uh, This is a true story. I don't mind saying this. He called me one time for a quote about Jeremy Jeffress and how he was doing with respect to his rehabilitation or something. Like, is he doing okay? How's the arm? How's his arm? You know, whatever it was. And uh, he took the quote and he put it in an article about Josh Hamilton's drug rehabilitation. And it was some misattributed quote. We're like, well, according to Josh Kuznick, he, Josh Kuznick says, well, he's doing fine. But I was talking about Jeremy Jeffress. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. I did say that. I just didn't say it about what he was talking about. And I was like, I called him like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I, man, you, I would say to people, be careful who you talk to. But when you talk as much as me, man, it doesn't matter. Nothing I say sticks. Yeah, I, I, so I, I roasted him for the Tony La Russa thing because he was spot on with Tony La Russa. So, he, but it was the weird way the way he wrote it was weird. So he it was it read like an uh, an opinion piece. Yes, and at the end he said because he said Rick Hahn is looking for somebody who had uh, experience in past recent championship teams, and I was like, well, that's not Tony Larusa. You know, Tony Larusa retired in two thousand eleven. That's not really recent. 
per se. I, just, I really, I, I'm telling you right now, and I know you were t- speaking extemporaneously, but I hope to God Bob Nightingale used the words past recent. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't. He did. That was just me. I but, know. I'm just, I'm fucking, I'm fucking with you. But I, he would. No, he would. I, I, I have no doubt he would. <laughs> but, but, but no, man, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what his angle is. I really don't. I, I have no idea what drives him. I don't know. I don't know, man. I've talked to him a bunch of times about a lot of things and it's, it's just, he's, he comes off one way on the phone, which is great. And then you read his stuff and it's not very reflective of the person you think you spoke to. Well, I, I guess we just hope he continues to do what he does just so we could get the content in there. So. I mean, I was going to see you say that, but I was going to say, I just, we can only hope he stops writing. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have any, any, well, there's plenty of other people to talk about, but I mean, I'm, I'm a, I mean, just so you know, I, I lean towards being a roast comedian. Greg Geraldo was my hero. So like roasting the media for sports, sports media. And no, I'm, I'm good on this one. Like, Oh God, I have yeah. so many, I have so many. So, so, you know, random aside, for 17 years, I've worked for John Butcher at ESPN. It's a random, yeah. it's a random hire other than being a baseball agent. Anyways, Joshua, it was a lot of fun. Uh, this was, this was great. One of the most energetic episodes probably I've done. Um, yes, that's what I'm, that's what I do. I bring yes. energy to these things. Yeah. You brought the energy. You, you're, you lit this podcast up and, yes. uh, you did it in an exciting way. I need I need some fans. I'll do this again sometime. Just let me know. I mean, don't forget, I went on John Boy a few years ago, and then I take full credit for what has happened since then, though, even though I literally did nothing to help them. <laughs> yeah, John Boy, you know, I tried doing a breakdown, and it just wasn't the same. He's got the lip reading going for him. He's got ploof on the side. I mean, it's, it's just it's going really well for him. Jimmy, so. I went on their podcast three years ago, and I loved him, and I stayed in touch with him. Then I went on last year, and I ended up talking about labor for like an hour and a half. And the unedited video has like 13,000 views. And I'm like, huh, if I knew that many people would have watched this, I probably would not have spoken that freely extemporaneously for an hour and a half. But like I said, <laughs> for, fortunately, there's so much content here. Good luck parsing something out of this. And like, oh, Josh said that. I'm like, right, I probably did. I'll, I'll like cop to everything I said in this one. I, I can just see like a, like a couple days from now, like Trevor Bauer's swarm attacking me. And it's like, oh, man, I fucking asked for this. Yeah, he's going to subtweet you. And uh, oh, Rachel, God, whatever I, her name is, she's going to be after you too. So I think it's, I think it's great that there, are, that there are more women agents in the industry. My vice president of my company, Samantha Newman, is a certified player agent. She used to be the acquisition manager at Panini. She used to work with Kobe Bryant. This woman has done a ton of things in the industry. And you know what she doesn't have to do about it? She doesn't fucking tweet about it all the time about herself. Like, I did Kobe's deal. I did this. You see Scott Boris doing any of that shit? I'm not saying that you have to be Scott Boris. I'm not. Look what I'm wearing. You think I have anything in common with Scott other than a job title? We don't do anything the same. Also, he's successful and I'm me. But, but, um, but with Luba... Or, or any agent that does that, when you're securing your own endorsement deals and then you're pinning it to your own fucking Twitter page, look at the deal that I got. What the fuck do her clients think? So is Bauer, is, is she only representing him? Yeah. I mean, yesterday I saw she signed Carlos Gonzalez. And now it says, I represent two all-stars. Let me tell you a funny story. That's a last resort thing for Carlos. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. And I will tell you why. I'm going to make an example and dunk on myself. I worked for Miguel Tejada and Angel Barroa when they were long retired. So do I get to tell people I worked for an MVP and two rookie of the years? No. No, because <laughs> I had nothing to do with their success. I met them when it was over. So you don't get to say, I signed an all-star. No, you signed somebody that was an all-star without you. And now it's on you to fix that. Good luck to you. You're taking the accolades for the press hit right now. It will be interesting to see what happens after. If she de- demonstrates value to that, I will be thoroughly impressed. Just myself, not that she owes me anything, but if they're able to take a reclamation project and do something, well, then I have to shut the fuck up. But if they're getting the press hit right now, and now there's two people, it's just, it seems so superficial to me. I'm someone who's always had substance. I like substance. Games recognizes game. And I hate bullshit. And man, 
I just see bullshit. I see a podcast where she just, it's just all about attention. It's not about the money. It's not about the contract. It's always about attention. And they're like building a brand, building a brand. And they never remember the most important thing because they've only experienced success. You can't build a brand if you don't focus on the main thing. And no one gives a shit about what they think unless Trevor Bauer's good at baseball. One of the recent tweets that, that she put out there was, the Cincinnati Reds uh, offered Trevor Bauer the qualifying offer. Time for free agency. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, that's, but see, that's my point. That's perfect. She reported that to the fans, that you guys accepted the QO. She had to get the okay from the Reds. So what is she reporting? That she called, So she tweets it before she calls Bob Nightingale? Okay, that's on her. Great. But guess what? All of those reporters, and she knows this, are still going to retweet her. So where's the strategy here that you get more clicks and then you monetize it and then you do that? Again, they don't see big picture. They're only seeing what's right in front of them because they haven't gone through it before. They don't have the experience. I'm not saying you need experience to do stuff. I'm the same age. I didn't have experience, but I've done things that they haven't. And and a lot of people have done things they haven't. And to see that a I don't want to say rewrite the rules. It's, I like rewriting the rules. I did that. They're doing it. That's a good thing. But to think you know better than everyone because of X, Y, and Z, like, shut up. This game, this game existed for 200 years without you and me, and when they don't need our talent anymore, whatever it is, agent, player, they, don't, they get rid of us. That's how this works for all of us. That's the one thing I wish I could tell everybody that I'm stopping is that no one in this whole game is, is irreplaceable. And, and none of us are all that special. And, you know, you could point to Mike Trout, you could point to whoever, but, you know, the game doesn't stop for anybody. When Joe DiMaggio retired, Mickey Mantle replaced him. It always happens. So, anyway, nice shirt. Padres are going to win the World Series next year, and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great mic drop. Uh, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. You guys could follow um, Joshua on Twitter, and his at yes, is – Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Do you want to plug yourself? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, why not? I'm on uh, – my Twitter is Joshua Kuznick. It's my name. Uh, Twitter or Instagram, same thing. And then the uh, the Facebook group, which is weird, admittedly, buying baseball cards from literal baseball players and agents, um, is baseball cards – autograph cards for sale uh, on Facebook. And, like, literally, we had a box break today by former Major League catcher Adrian Nieto, which literally happens on my Facebook page where anybody want to open a box of absolute football with a big league player. And we just do that on Facebook because I know a bunch of players and we collect cards. Yeah. Get uh, Phil Hughes on the, on the, in the group. I mean, you would think that like everyone cares about everyone who collects cards. You got niche kick, you got Hughes, you got all these guys. I'm like, no one cares about me. And I've been in the hobby for 30 years. No one cares. <laughs> Again, thank you for joining me, Josh. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. And have a great day, and uh, try not to get stressed out about this election. Uh, maybe, I don't know when I'm going to upload this, probably either Tuesday or Wednesday, but don't kill each other, guys. That's my message. <laughs>